Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Rodina Ozban, here with my friend, Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yuma Daf Samachet, page 62. So we end Parag Kamishi here and start Parag Shishi. I think we're just going to get started with the uh, first Mishnah here. And basically, this new Parag is continuing with uh, a description of what happens with the Yom Kippur Avodah. But here we're really going to focus on uh, the two goats. Um, as opposed to what we did before with a lot of the sprinklings of the blood and where that took place. And so the mission begins as follows. Shnei Sirei Yom Kippurim, these two goats of Yom Kippur, mitzvatanchi yushnehen shavin. So the mitzvah is, or, you know, and the Gemara will explain a little bit more about this, is that they have to be alike. Bimar'eh, in appearance, ubikoma, in height, ubidamim, and in value, right? So you're not supposed to really big goat and then one really small goat, they're really supposed to sort of look pretty similar to each other. And they have to be bought together. So it's not like you buy one and then you buy another. In other words, wherever they would purchase these goats from, you're going to do it as a single purchase. You don't buy them separately or from two different vendors. Because again, the idea is, is that from the beginning, this is supposed to be sort of the lottery and chance. We didn't spend so much time yet talking about sort of the, again, the philosophical underpinnings of what the lottery was supposed to mean. Um, but we can get to that in a little bit. And if, but if they aren't alike, right, uh, let's say it's still going to be okay. So this also I found interesting in the Mishnah that it sort of gives a principle, but it reverses itself. So unlike a lot of halachot of kasher or pasul, here it's more saying like, I would almost use the terminology of like a right? Or preferred method and a less preferred method, which we're still going to say is okay. Now, maybe that had to do with sometimes you couldn't find two goats that were the same, or maybe there were times, it doesn't really give a reason for why that is. Because when I read this, I guess I wonder like how difficult was it to really find two goats that looked like, um, again, I'm not somebody who sees so much difference between goats when I do see them. So, um, but I guess this was a concern sometimes. Also, let's say he purchased them at two different times. He did one today and one the next day. It's still valid. So, again, it, they we give all these set of rules at the first half of the Mishnah, but then the Mishnah comes to say, but if you don't really do them, it's still going to be okay. Because I guess the process piece of this is not really an essential part of the Avoda, right? It's just the leading up to having two goats in the Beit HaMikdash on Yom Kippur that will undergo the lottery and these sort of steps beforehand, I think to make the lottery meaningful the way that it is and the process of the goats meaningful, uh, you want to keep it. If it, that doesn't happen, it's not going to invalidate their use. Then the Mishnah goes on with some other cases, right? Let's say one of them died. Let's say it died before the Kohen Gadol even did the lot. So then what does he do? He just has to buy a second goat for the one that was left over. Let's say it died after he did the lot. So if you think about that, it's like this short period of time on Yom Kippur itself, one of the goats happens to die. Then the coin Gadol needs to bring a whole other pair and has to do lots on that. Now, one thing that I didn't quite understand here from this Mishnah is, how exactly did that happen? Did they purchase that on Yom Kippur itself? Um, was it, uh, you know, what, 
like, did they have the backup available? Were they buying things on Yom Kippur? Um, and I don't know. Did you understand that? That seemed to me also like very uh, interesting. I guess you could purchase it on Yom Kippur. I mean, I think that from what I, I saw a note that said that they would cast a new lot on Yom Kippur. So I guess that's a, right. That's going to decide which goes where, which suggested to me that they have them right. um, lying in wait. You know, like, yeah, no, you're right. You're reading the language correctly. It's the girl of the the uh, real alehem batchilah. Like, in other words, you just cast a lot again. It's not talking about buying again. So they must have had them available. They must have had multiple goats available. Um, and well, so here, what I have is in the, in I'm reading from, again, a note on its quote, the, the note is quoting the Rambam, where it says that if a new, if a new pair of goats was brought, right, brought is like this nice, vague English you know, accommodation to the sense that we're not going to say where they bought, how did they arrive there? Did they come down from the heavens? Meaning it's, it's not specific at all, but I do think that really the point is that they had enough goats in the store room, so to speak, that if they needed to, although I don't know how easy it is to find two goats that are twins like that. Right. I, it obviously wasn't that easy because they had to make sort of a asterisk to that role. Um, nice. And then, then when he does, when they bring that second set of goats by Yomer, the Kohen Gadol needs to say, Im shel sh- uh, mate, right? If the one that was for Hashem, the one that was going to be shechted and uses the chatas, right? If one of these new ones becomes the one uh, that is now L'Shem, it should go in its place, right? In place of the one that maybe died L'Shem. Im shel Azazel mate, but let's say it was the one for Azazel that died. The one that now through the lottery becomes Lazazel should be in its place. Right. And then the second goat, the one that was left, should go at to graze until it becomes blemish. Right. And then at that point, you sell it and then you take the money and it just, you give a Nidava offering with that money. Right, because remember we talked about that. This we had had a discussion about before. Um, that uh, and this was a halacha l'moshem Sinai, that a communal chatas is not left to uh, die. Right, and we had mentioned this a few times before that there are five instances, right, where um, there an animal that does have a chatas status has to be left to die. Right, you basically lock it up and it's, you're just not going to feed it. But this is an instance uh, where we don't necessarily do that. And Rabbi Yehuda, Omer, um, Tamut. But Rabbi Yehuda says, no, you are actually going to leave it to die. He holds that it is Allah that, you know, any type of chatas offering, you know, it, it, it just needs to be, even the communal ones, they have to be left to die. But Od Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says also, Nishpach Adam, that the blood of the one that was, you know, uh, uh, that was left over, uh, the blood of the goat, excuse me, that's for Hashem, right? Should be is spilled before it's actually sprinkled. Yamud hamishdaleach, right? And then the one that was, uh, if the if the one that was, uh, you know, going to be the mishdaleach, the scapegoat, right? If if it's going to that one should be left to die. Ma hamishdaleach, right? If it dies, um, uh, let's say before the blood of the one for Hashem is sprinkled, yishpach adam then the blood of the one that was supposed to be uh, sprinkled just has to be poured out. So in other words, let's say you have a scenario, right? This is how I understand Rabbi Yehuda, okay? Where you have the two goats. You shechted the one that was for Hashem, right? The L'shem. 
and that you did the vidoyan and you're supposed to do the sprinkling, but the Azazel one dies, right? So what are you going to do? You're, you're, so in other words, there's no goat to left to leave out to die at this point. You're still going to have to bring another two um, and repeat the whole thing. So Rabbi Yehuda is saying you still have to take that blood, even though you didn't sprinkle it yet, and you're still going to have to pour the blood out. In other words, you can't just dispose of the body and the blood. You still have to do something with it. That's a little bit different because you were sort of already in the process of, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, of the avoda with it. Again, this is one of those mishras. We have no indication how common was this. The Gemara doesn't give us a story where this happened. Is this what I always like to call a boundary pushing one, right? It's just trying to give us any possible scenario of what possibly could have gone wrong that day. Um, we don't really have a lot of information, but it's certainly giving us the different permutations of uh, different scenarios that could possibly have happened uh, with these two goats. Right. I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, there's a very specific prescription of having these goats that are so alike. And then I feel like it's almost an invitation to start worrying about what could possibly go wrong. And then once you start making a list of what could possibly go wrong, you have to answer what would you do under those circumstances if, in fact, that would happen. So I guess that's what you would call boundary pushing. But I don't think it's for the sake of exploring the boundary as much as, that I agree oh, my with. goodness, what would we do? Now, whether they actually ever, ever had to do it, that I don't know. Right. And there's right. no indication. I agree. I think sometimes we have discussions in the Gemara that are really, really boundary pushing. Like, let's come up with the most, you know, we just want to figure out what the boundary of the halacha is. Right. I think here there is a real theoretical worry. Like, what would happen? Look, they're animals. Again, these are things that I think there are, I'm sure there are some people learning along with us who may have more experience. I don't know enough about animals. Like, is it really possible that within the one hour that this took place, you had two healthy goats and one of them just died all of a sudden? I guess theoretically it's possible, but I guess also, you know, it isn't so not theoretical that maybe they should at least have a halakha set up for it already. What would you do in that scenario? Certainly I could see that from time of purchase to when you got it started, that something could happen. You know, that, that doesn't seem so far-fetched to me. It's also interesting, I think, one of the things I thought was very interesting is this recognition that as much as these goats are supposed to be really identical, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, about the Gemara, there's also a recognition in all of these different examples that they might not be exactly identical, right? And that's certainly the case, right? That that we know now that things, animals that look identical are still presumably, at least at a DNA level, not, right? I imagine some of them are twins or, or multiples in that way, but for the most part, we're going to end up with yeah, you've got goats that are of equal value or very close to equal value and equal appearance, very close to equal appearance. And yet the Gemara seems to have known that it wasn't really going to be exact in that way, um, which I think is also kind of progressive of them on that front. Um, and then the other comment that I wanted to make before I go into the Gemara is just that this is, this is the classic scapegoat, right? The expression scapegoat to blame somebody for something that they had no part of, no no role in doing wrong, is exactly what's happening here. This poor goat that goes out to Azazel, carrying all the sins, right, in this figurative sense, or or even if it were literal, I don't exactly know how sins get carried, then, then um, you know, it comes from the fact that this goat bore the sins of the people, right. and, which is and- such a contrary to, I don't know, it feels not Jewish because we're com- we're not accustomed to vicarious anything 
being Jewish. Well, well, all of this is symbolic. And wait till we read the further missions with the rather graphic description of what happens to this to the Azazel goat. Um, there's something about it, again, and maybe it's because we don't do it. It doesn't feel like the way we do things. But this is what we did on Yom Kippur. Anyhow, on to the Well, no, but I, no, because I think, no, because it's, it's literally sins, right? And the, there is a very strong Christian approach, right? That says that Jesus died for the people's sins, right? Carrying the people's sins to redeem the people of their sins, which is very much this. So the scapegoating that happens, let's say that we often talk about the Jewish people being a scapegoat for other people's blaming us for things that didn't happen, the Black Death or whatever, right? that didn't happen as our fault, so to speak, is one aspect of this um, strange practice that we've always had, right? It goes back a really, really long time. And on the other hand, it feels so not Jewish, even though it is Jewish, because I think it was, uh, you'll forgive me, appropriated by, you know, the next up and coming religion. I just want to read the Gemara here and talk about the two. The fact that there are two goats here, they are specified as two. The moment you say the moment you use the plural of the word for goats, then you know that you've got a minimum of two goats, uh, meaning you have to have two to have the plural. So then why does the Torah have to say, the Gemara wants to know, how, why does the Torah have to say two? And so because the Torah goes out of its way to not just use a plural that would give us the minimum of the plural, which would be two, the fact that it goes out of its way to actually say two, the Gemara therefore infers that they need to be identical, right, or equal, right? They need to be the same. So how do we get this point that even if they're not identical, they could still be kosher? If the Torah is, in, if we're going to learn from the Torah that two means identical, then how could they be not identical and still be kosher? So the Gemara says, well, the fact that the Pusik, the Psukim there in Vayikra Tetzayin, um, in the verses 9 and 10, it does say Sa'ir twice. It says the word, not Sa'ire plural, but the singular Sa'ir twice. And so therefore, it's kind of a recognition that each goat in its own right is an individual, so to speak, Sa'ir and another Sa'ir. And that teaches the Gemara that, you know, they infer that this is, this teaches that they are valid. Two goats can be valid even if they are not identical. So the Gemara goes on, and it's kind of very classic Gemara's, very classic Gemara um, breaking down the, the biblical text and how it teaches us these particular details of the mitzvot. Tamad Rebbe Rachmana, hello Rebbe Rachmana, havamina psulin ikuva manalan. So the Gemara says, well, we have that reason specifically because Hashem, it says the the Rachmana here means the quote unquote the merciful one, right? The merciful one is Hashem, right? The, so it's it was Hashem gave us this um, increase or amplification, right, to suggest that the two goats don't need to be identical to be kosher. Doesn't that mean then that the Ha Lo Rabbi Rachmana Havamin Hapsulin had the Torah not done this amplification, then might I not say that they would be pasul? And then how do we know that Ikuva Manalan, how do we know that if the goats, how do we, I want to say this right, we learn from here that they are not to be sacrificed if they are not identical. So then we have this complicated logic of um, that the 
the, the fact that it says that they're going to be, they have to be identical from she, from Shnei, from two, but if they're not identical from Seir, Seir, it's okay. But at the same time, um, the concern is I just, that, that the mitzvah is only going to work, so to speak. Um, I would have thought that the mitzvah would only work with the identical goats. I think I've said this in a roundabout, confusing way, but the bottom line is that the that the korban and the sir azazel will both be valid if they are not quite identical from all of this inference. So then the Gemara says, And this I find to be interesting. It says, you might have thought that since it says two, the word two is written three different times in that passage in the Torah, then maybe we would think that it really has to be identical. And which is why there again, the Torah needs to indicate, you know, that the, that the goats are going to be kosher even if they're not identical. It's interesting to me that the Gemara is working so hard and then it goes on to bring other examples where you have like a, a pair to, to be counter, to be not counter examples, to be support examples, to be comparable examples. Um, it's very interesting to me that the Gemara is going out of its way to make sure that um, this requirement of being identical is first established and then knocked down. And then you know, lest you think that it's really true, we're going to again tell you it's not required. And again and again. And I'm not sure why this is, except for that it seems to be that there's questions to be raised on the biblical text itself as being somewhat confusing on this point, I guess. If you're using the Gemara logic to draw your inferences from the text and you end up in both directions. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting text because, but then I'm going to go back to, then why is it okay if it's not? I, but so I think that's, I think this is what the, the Gemara is circling around and where I myself like had a difficulty expressing it because I think that at the end of the day, they, the Gemara has to say that if they're not identical, it's acceptable because otherwise you're talking about literal, you know, sibling goats type of thing, t- t- but identical twin sibling goats as opposed to recognizing that there's going to there's a likelihood of there being some inequality between them that will still leave the still leave the process the the avoda will still be kosher right but then, I think, so then why set it up at all i mean i just find the whole thing to be puzzling it's it's i'm trying to think of another example we've had where they sort of want it where the halacha to be one way, but then sort of qualified would be like, no, but if it's not, it's really okay. And when you first read that Mishnah, it's presented as a halacha, you know? It's oh, not yeah. presented as a best practice. So I'm wondering, right, exactly. So this, this I think that this is exactly what's happening. That the Gemara is like, but doesn't it have to be identical? Oh, but no. Oh, but yes. Oh, but no. But I'm wondering if part of that identical, the requirement for identical that's in people's minds, I wonder if it, and, and from the Torah, I wonder if it isn't strengthened by the idea that um, it's the philosophy that's behind it that's not being discussed, right? That all those drushot and shul that talk about these are two goats that are representing two different directions that we, you know, that we handle when it comes to sin, and that one's going to Azazel, and that one's going on the Mizbeach, but they have to be essentially the same, so it's as if both are happening to the one person, let's say, to us who are supposed to be doing this, right? I feel like some of that symbolism or representation of of how the avoda is supposed to be us, right? We are the goat, so to speak. I feel like, yes, that's the material of a drusha, 
But I wonder how much of that requirement for them to be identical, like what do we gain from them being identical in our understanding of the mitzvah? I feel like maybe that's underneath it all. That that's that could be a good point, but I agree. I think the idea here is that the Gemara is definitely sort of circling here, um, and and obviously this mission of puzzles them the same way that it's puzzling us. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.